0: Hello everyone, and welcome to the first season of Tomorrow City podcast, the world's biggest platform for cities. It's Marco Polo speaking, and you are listening to the show that brings you ideas today for tomorrow's city life. Through global interviews, we bring a diverse set of opinions and debates from the people that are already building the cities of tomorrow, because the challenges for tomorrow should be tackled today. Episode four, four. how sustainable a city can be within four walls? If you take away from life in the big city, its vibrant cultural scene, its sophisticated commerce, its sick restaurants, business centers, or innovation hubs, what is it left? Probably a number of mostly small and expensive housing units with good internet access at best, the advantages of urban life have been diluted to such an extent that we can only speak of teleadvantages. Most of our present activities are supported by prefixes that indicate distance or virtualization. For instance, remote work, e-learning, online shopping, video calls, streaming concerts, or telemedicine. Looking at reality from a screen has become the frame of reference, where the computer is the vertex of our will, translated through a combination of keys and clicks. Studies and surveys about remote work, for instance, showed that workers improved their productivity. But they have also showed that the total time working increased, while the line amid work and life started to blur. In fact, we have never been so busy. Our virtual self got introduced on multiple sites, sometimes simultaneously. But what percentage of us is really on those sites? It looks paradoxical we are now more multitask than ever when we actually barely get up from our own chair. The consequences this completely digital communication model have are unknown, as well as how the isolation affects our relationships and mental health in the short and long term. Some cities and businesses are implementing plans to adapt to any kind of environmental, economic, or industry shift future may bring. What are the variables, though, that they are measuring to keep the standards of living? Adaptation is the key because business as usual is not working anymore. Our guest for today is Sandra Bayer, who is the CEO of Personal Cities, a smart city company that is dedicating to imagining the city as it will be. Sandra and her team have worked with worldwide city leaders for over 20 years to enroll everyone towards safe, prosperous, and happy communities. Welcome to our podcast, Sandra. Oh,
1: thank you, Roretti It's such a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to join the first episodes of the Tomorrow City Podcast. Uh, as advocates for cities around the globe, uh, we at Personal Cities are certain that cities will find ways to prosper in our very uh, new and uncertain future.
0: Well, it's great to have you here to tell us all about it. Um, you state that cities are actually about people, relationships and connections. And of course, that is so important since, after all, cities are personal. Though many times helping cities become people focused is not as direct or is not as easy as it sounds. So I would like to ask you what assets do you think are critical for a city in order to put people first?
1: Thank you for that question. And I hope more people uh, ask that question because it's, it's really uh, at the heart of what a city will do is putting people first in new ways. Um, we believe there is a convergence of crises in the United States and around the world. Beyond the pandemic and its tragic health effects, we must deal with the economic impact on our lives, uh, our access to work and school and culture, extreme political divisiveness, social inequalities, uh, and of course the gro- growing global climate crisis, uh, and most of all are restricted in person human connections that's what's really affecting you know how how we can shift the paradigm as you say Um, i think i think there's a huge impact on small and medium-sized enterprise and that's where we're focused at personal cities to try to support them and give them new new ways of uh, finding uh new paths toward a a different future Um, Some of the research we've done, just very briefly, is that in the U.S., as of um, last September, there were 30 million small and medium-sized enterprises. 100,000 of those businesses had closed their doors. In Spain, as of December, we saw that 15,000 businesses across the country of Spain had temporarily closed their business, and it may lead to more. Uh, The U.K. has special... um, special circumstances where the, the tourism, the recreational industries have have closed doors up to 82%. So that that's what sort of leads us to saying, how can we help? What can we do to make things better? We've actually come up with two assumptions that, that sort of lead us to thinking, where is the help for cities? Where How do we help this shifting paradigm? The first is that 2021 will not be radically different from 2020. Um we believe that every business large and small will feel the impact of the pandemic but much much beyond that. Our second assumption is that every city will and must find sort of their challenges and their assets and sort of figure out what those are so that they can then create a new identity. And I think those assumptions are sort of set the stage for some of our recommendations about how to how to bring a better life to to urban spaces.
0: And then over the last few months, we've seen that many people have been forced to limit to some extent their personal and professional life to a very small domestic space. And even if we are eager to take back the streets again and regain the regular city beat, we must admit that some part of this reality has come to stay. And um, this is because we have a lot of benefits of this virtualized life. And within this context, I want to ask you how the businesses that you have been talking before, as well as the governments, can support and enable this paradigm shift so that everything can be much more smooth um, um, in our everyday life.
1: Yes. and. That's the operative word Arati, everyday life. Let's let's try to figure out how we're living our lives today and how it can change in some ways for the better. There are three critical factors that we think uh, will enable business and government to shift that paradigm again. Uh, First is we must create a healthy and safe environment, not just against the virus, but beyond that. Can we secure cleaner air and water? Can we work toward a healthier environment toward the reduction of fossil fuels? Can we reduce crime and political violence to strengthen public safety in every community? So number one, create a healthy environment, a healthy uh, environment around the world and inside buildings. Um, Just do everything you can to make, make us feel safe and healthy. The second critical factor is that we must create new collaborations across the ecosystem of a community, not just city leaders making decisions for us but really translating that into new coalitions that support affordable housing, uh, reduce tax, uh, reduce class divides, um, eliminate racial inequalities. It requires us to find financial support for investments in digital technology, city operations, coordination between large and small business. Let's figure out how to create these new coalitions. The third factor, which I think is perhaps the most important, Arete, is that we must rebuild trust. In our opinion, at the core of each challenge is our willingness to trust each other, to work together, uh, to ask the difficult questions, to truly listen and to be receptive to new ideas and different ways of doing things. Let go of your muscle memory, figure out that this is the way we've always done it may not be the right way to do it in the future. So those three facts, I think, are the sort of the critical elements that will help us find a new path.
0: These are fundamental considerations. I I guess trust comes first. At Personal Cities, you strive to make cities an attractive place to live in uh, and also to work in, uh, a place where people can trust. And I want to ask you, what positive impact of digitization and remote working you observe in the role of cities? Can this change? certain uh, operations of the city? Could they be, for example, transformed into talent attraction hubs?
1: Yes, yes. And and I think that's a really important part of what makes uh, a smart city uh, an attractive place to live and work. Um, the pandemic has changed the world of work, and I don't think it will ever be the same again across cities a country, and across countries for the next year and beyond. Um, We believe there will be an increasing understanding of the power of digital technologies and a balance between in-person and virtual connections. This will continue to evolve. There are several trends for us today that we think, um, although COVID has forced many stops and starts along the way, um, especially for small and medium-sized enterprises, the trends we see um, many of them have been in place for years for example as you mentioned digitalization um, from working at home to share digital mobility to digital communications options to reducing the digital divide to using digital twin technology um, looking at advanced technologies 5g ai robotics drones iot all of these all of these solutions will only continue to improve we, we Shouldn't be afraid of them. We should embrace them and figure out how they can really help uh, the citizens and the residents in our cities to prosper.
0: What is also true, though, is that this accelerated shift towards teleworking, teleeducation, uh, digitization, as well as many other realities brought by the pandemic, has pointed out the existing gaps between different communities. I'd like to ask you, how can cities ensure an inclusive recovery? How can cities respond to a digital divide? How we can democratize some of these technologies that you have been mentioning before so that everybody can have access to that and so that there is no gap between communities when it comes to this uh, new reality?
1: Yes, and I think um, one of the important keys is the element of inclusion to create an inclusive recovery. It's different than it was even three or four years ago, certainly pre-COVID. What do we really mean by an inclusive recovery? How can we really listen to all the voices? And I think that's the challenge for city before COVID and now, um, creating a sense of community, figuring out um, how can placemaking set a path toward inclusive recovery. What are the challenges that every city is dealing with? There's so many universal problems. And although each city proudly has its own um, identity and brand image, if you will, the inclusive recovery will only happen if we are willing to form these new coalitions, to forget about traditional paths of doing business the way we've always done it. I'll just give you a couple examples. One is, our uh, uh, ability to procure technology. Procurement in general is broken in most cities around the world because it takes too long. By the time a procurement uh, offer is accepted, the technology that they were looking to is already obsolete. So how can we hasten the pace of procurement? If we do so, we will uh, be able to be smarter about the acquisition of new technology. And that will have ripple effects to improve uh, the use of talent, especially these young entrepreneurs that are doing such exciting things around the world. And they just need um, attention and acceptance and uh, to be included. So the, the idea, the end of that is to, to create a sense of belonging for all of us, that we all have a role to contribute to city decisions, city investments, city operations. And I think once we do that, we'll have more inclusive cities.
0: I'm really glad that you're mentioning that because it's, of course, super important to have uh, um, young people and and talents involved into the city decision-making. But, um, of course, in order to improve this space of procurement that you are discussing, we need a lot of different collaborations, right? Yes need to be in direct contact with uh, businesses, as well as with entrepreneurs, as well as communities. So I would like to ask you about this, you know, uh, creative effort uh, that needs to be taken. How easy is it um, uh, to apply it when it comes to decision-making in in, uh, um, um, in very important uh, topics related with uh, cities?
1: Yeah, well, how easy is it? Um... You've posed a really good question Aretti, because I think uh, it it does require us collectively and collaboratively to uh, again ask the difficult question and then keep asking. Uh, There's a process, a new approach that we've started at Personal Cities called Question Storming. It means that you ask a difficult question but you don't jump too quickly to an answer because sometimes those quick answers are not the right answers. so the question-storing process poses a question. For example, how can we, how can cre- we create faster procurement processes? But rather than say, well, do this or do that, the answer might be more questions, peeling away that question to get to the real barriers and the lack of interdependency, and the and the need for people to collaborate in different ways, you know, outside of their normal box, into new uh, new projects. Um, H.L. Mencken said it best. He said that for every difficult question, there is an answer that is clear and simple and wrong. So the point being that you need to take time, you need to take time and space to ask the difficult questions. That's the only way that we'll get to to some of these solutions in this very different reality we are all facing.
0: Question storming sounds really, really great. I would like to zoom in now into the topic of the future of work uh, because um, the pandemic has disrupted the way that we are working. And I would like to, to let's say, uh, share with you uh, the fact that we might be moving towards, of course, office less professional environments, but will also jobs and projects be more fluid, according to your opinion? And would we need, probably more than ever, to invest in new and future-proof skills? Will we be looking for other kinds of spaces, um, semi-virtual, semi-physical, to work together and co-create? Yes, I I think the answer is yes, for sure.
1: Uh, What is that balance? That's the next question to ask, because some of us will choose to work at home. Some of us will need to work in an office. Some of us will move away from city density and to more uh, rural spaces some of us will love what the new city looks like uh with maybe safer built in a safer built environment so i think there's a balance of things that is to be determined uh one of the questions that we ask at personal cities is who owns it who's running it who's making these decisions about should we work from home uh for example if we said well let's let's sort of have a a rule of thumb that everyone try to work from home three days a week. Think of the implications of that. Certainly reduced uh, pollution, air pollution, certainly reduced traffic congestion, but what impact does it have on restaurants and retail? What impact does it have on our nightlife and our city life during the day and in the evenings? It, it's all a process of asking those questions, Moretti, and and sort of figuring out what's best for each city and in that sense i think <clears throat> there's another approach called uh, community identity branding where a city really assesses its assets uh, a city such as barcelona is known for so many things uh, the, uh, the art of gaudi the the beautiful walkways the uh, uh the spanish life of um, eating at 11 o'clock at night i mean so many things identify barcelona and also as a city of of great technology and innovation? Uh, Is Barcelona doing a good enough job communicating that? You know, sending out those messages about its identity. And in terms of the workspace, that will all flow from there. I think if we feel safe working in an office again, people will choose to do that because of the interpersonal connections. But I think the virtual world that enabled this podcast to be done so quickly across many countries uh, is with us for for the immediate time and for the future.
0: I kind of sense that you foresee um, economic risks uh, in relation to that, uh, let's say, uh, partially uh, digital um, transformation in work. But do you also foresee any risks of isolation uh, in this highly accelerated, if not completely, digital communication model? And what sort of, of uh, effects you see in our everyday relationships in the short and long term in our mental and uh health yes and i i'm not an expert in that arena
1: and i have um i guess personally and professionally i have only been energized by this change in our our world um uh, not not to uh dismiss the the tragic health events that have occurred because of the virus but in terms of the work life i think it's incumbent on each of us to say, we will continue to reach out. We will continue to, have, I no longer have phone calls. I only have Zoom calls. So we're we're still connecting. Uh, it is different. But the fact that I have new business partners in Cape Town, South Africa. I have new business partners in Nashville, Tennessee. I live in Washington, DC. I mean, I would have never met these people in Nashville had it not been for these new um, uh, virtual meetings that we're having uh, almost daily for some of us. So I think the the question about isolation and loneliness uh, pervades uh, for so many people. I think, and I think it's up to again back to the one of those Im- important uh, fr- critical factors to getting through this is to make sure our healthcare systems are are more aggressive about understanding where those people are that are feeling lonely and isolated and trying to. To, to work with them, to engage with them. Uh, we, we have so much to leverage, so much, so many entrepreneurs are still out there. Uh, I, I'll give you one more example. Uh, there's a company called EnerBrain, uh, based in Italy. And the idea is that they have these little bitty boxes that they can put uh, in, in any built environment to measure the air pollution and to measure viruses. So. Innovations like that will make us feel safer. They will also make these young entrepreneurs uh, become an integral part of the world of work and help them, you know, improve their economic status in life. So I think a lot of what's going on about engagement is where the action is. And the more we can do, the more, uh, the the closer we can get to each other in any form, uh, the better.
0: Sandra, as a person that you work in the future of cities, in the arena of the future of cities, um, I have to ask that. So where will our city be in 20 years? And and which new transformative technologies will save its future?
1: Yeah, well, 20 years is a long way away. I used to write business plans for two years out, and now I write business plans for one year out. Um, I think, I think we will continue to have um, important health effects, natural disasters, um, crises of uh, maybe an unknown variety um, that, that should help us be better planners. It should help us be better strategizers about becoming a resilient city, a resilient community. And what does that mean? That means that we should, should, we should keep asking those difficult questions. What, what about COVID-30? Uh, it's it's evidently, according to a lot of the statisticians and the scientists, it's likely to happen. How will we prepare for it? How will we be better prepared for it the next time around? And I think um, cities, I, I believe, will constantly be um, finding ways to succeed and thrive and prosper. Uh, I think they're the lifeblood of, of our world and this, the cities that grow in population will continue to figure out ways to, to embrace that density and to figure out how, ways to uh, really keep people happy and engaged and uh, wanting to live there, being proud to live there. I, I, I know
0: it's in the future. Thank you very much, Sandra. Thank you for your uh, contribution as well as the work that you're doing. Um, I hope that you can continue to do that, uh, contributing to create better urban planners, as you say, better strategists um, uh, so that cities can continue to thrive thank you very much
1: well thank you already it was such a pleasure to talk with you i would leave you with one final thought it's a famous quote from Buckminster fuller he says that you never change things by fighting the existing reality to really change we must build a new model that often makes the existing model completely obsolete i think this is our opportunity to really think differently to uh to form new coalitions and collaborations and to work together in brand new ways toward our very uncertain future.
0: Thank you very much, Sandra. Thank you. You can follow up Tomorrow City on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Listen to our show in your favorite podcast platform and discover much more content about cities and urban innovation at the webpage page tomorrow.city. Your voice matters. And now it's the time for the question of this episode. How hard was it to adapt your work role at home during the lockdown?
1: For me, it was easy because I work in a digital agency and with social media, so I just needed uh, my laptop and a good Wi-Fi connection, so
0: that was it. Well, not really. I had already been working from home for the last 10 years. It was a bit harder with my little daughter around all day, but nothing unmanageable. My co-workers did have to adapt, but for the better. Now meetings are shorter and to the point, and we get more work done overall. It wasn't really hard the first days when we thought it would be a matter of two weeks but I really struggled with maintaining a good work-life balance and I really miss my team working face to face with my team. Cities are the perfect place for the spread of the pandemic. In fact, 95% of people with COVID live in urban areas. They promote the perfect breeding ground for the virus to infect thousands of people in a very short time. History tells us it has been this way since at least the plague of Athens that slew Pericles. And the cities have bounced back even stronger, organizing post-pandemic cities has to deal with the quality of governance and a range of fundamental inequalities in our global cities, with a view to intensifying mental health challenges after forcing people indoors for so long. Whatever your living or employment conditions were, the rapid expansion of this virus has equaled us all in one thing. We have spent more time at home, Perhaps you took advantage of it by working out, painting the bedroom or tidying up the closets. Or you may have procrastinated more than necessary and some of these things are still on the to-do list. If claustrophobia didn't paralyze you, it is very likely you spend much of that time online. If we work or study in front of a screen and for our free time we just simply open another new tab, when do we disconnect? When do we get together? We may have the feeling that our work performance, learning process or entertainment perception is incomplete, that without sharing our experience face to face, we are missing something to close the circle. Or maybe the power of virtual connections is beyond human touch. The dystopian future where new life seems like an imitation of life has never felt closer. On the other hand, We also know that cities will continue to be the driving force leading the global response to this situation, because life always finds a way. That is all from Tomorrow City Podcast, but we will get back soon with a brand new episode on new life for villages and outskirts. Is it possible to bring life back to the suburbs? Should towns become small cities? What predictions can we make about their economies? And to what extent can a renewed interest in the suburbs enrich or condemn the hyper-dense city? We're bringing you the minds and the ideas that today are shaping up tomorrow's city life. Stay tuned.